So Jeremiah chapter 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the uh, exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. The skilled workers and their artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to uh, Elasa, the son of Stephan, and to Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your fellow citizens who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and give plague against them, and I will make them like figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets, and you exiles have not listened to either, declares the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I have sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about Ahab, son of Coliah, and to Zedekiah, the son of Maaseiah, who are prophesying lies to you in my name. I will deliver them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will put them to death before your very eyes. Because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. May the Lord treat you like a Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire. For they have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and in my name they have uttered lies, which I did not authorize. I know it and am witness to it, declares the Lord. Tell Shemaiah, uh, the Naalamite, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You sent letters in your own name, to all the people in Jerusalem, to the priest Zephaniah, son of Messiah, and to all the other priests. You said to Zephaniah, the Lord has appointed you priest in place of Jehoda to be in charge of the house of the Lord. You should put any maniac who acts like a prophet into the stocks and neck irons. So why have you not reprimanded Jeremiah from Anathoth, who poses as a prophet among you? He has sent this message to us in Babylon. It will be a long time, therefore build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Zephaniah the priest, however, read the letter to Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. 
Send this message to all the exiles. This is what the Lord says about Shemaiah, the Naothamite. Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, even though I did not send him, and has persuaded you to trust in lies. This is what the Lord says. I will surely punish him, the Naothamite, and his descendants. He will have no one left among his people, nor will he see the good things I will do for my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against me. Thanks, Griffo. Some tough names in that one, so good good job on that. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Dave. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I was just thinking on my way here, so I don't actually get to New AM that often, uh, so some of you might not know me, but I'm one of the pastors here. I, I work a lot with the university students, although there's a few little things shifting, which means I'll probably be here a little bit more, which I'm actually really excited about, because I love whenever I, I come to AM. Plus, I'm starting to get tired when I go to church at 7 o'clock at night, so I think that's an age thing here. So yeah, I am getting a little bit, bit older. I know it might not look like that, but that's how I feel. Then the older I get, the more and more I become what you would call a, a homebody, right? Are, are people homebodies here? You know what a homebody is? I love my home, and I love being at my home. And when I leave home, all I can think about is the moment when I'll get to go back home again. In fact, this was actually one of the reasons I thrived during lockdown. I know lockdown was, was really hard for a lot of people, and I don't want to make light of that, but I was actually one of the people who loved lockdown because it meant I got to spend so much time at home. Even when I'm on holidays, there's this, this part of me that longs to be home. A few years ago now, in fact, quite a few years ago, my wife and I went to South Africa to visit her granny, and it was great. It, it, we had a lot of fun. We got to see some incredibly beautiful parts of the world and, and some amazing parts of South African culture. But in the back of my head, there was this little nagging kind of part of me that was thinking the whole time, I just can't wait to get home. And when we finally walked through that front door, after being away for so long, it was incredible. I thought, man, it's good to be home. Now, I get not everybody here is like me. And some people like to be out and about and on the town, right, in the world having fun. You know, the Richard Sweatmans of the world, those kind of peoples who like to go out and party and those kind of things. <laughs> and look, I do recognize that for some of us, the homes we grew up in and maybe even the home we live in now is for any number of reasons a place we might not want to be. But when it's good, when it's safe, when it's a place of joy and laughter and warmth and comfort, that old saying rings true, doesn't it? There really is no place like home. And for us as Christians, this is actually a really helpful image to hold in our heads. Because the Bible talks about us as Christians having a home. In the Bible, we're told that our true home is in heaven with God. We belong not to this world, but to the world that's to come. The world that Jesus has promised to bring about when He returns and He restores all things and He makes everything new again. That's our home. And so we long to be there, right? To be in our heavenly home, yet we do have to live in this world day by day. We have to navigate life here and now on this earth. So here's my question for you. How do you do that? 
How do you live with a foot in kind of two worlds? On the one hand, knowing that heaven is home, and on the other hand, having to live here and now. How does our heavenly home help us think about our place as Christians in the workplace, in society and in in government, or or in things like social justice and environmental action and, and wanting to make this world a better place? Well, funnily enough, Jeremiah 29, of all places, is incredibly helpful as we think about this exact question. Although, maybe not in the way it first seems at at first glance. Because God's people in Jeremiah, they're also caught between two worlds, right? They're exiles, most of them at least. They're, They're in captivity and they're living in this foreign land called Babylon. They've been carried off there, right? They've been carried off by the Babylonians. But they long to be back home again. They long to be in Jerusalem, their homeland. And in chapter 29, which Josh just read for us, what we have here is a letter written by the prophet Jeremiah who's living in Jerusalem at the time and he's writing to his fellow Israelites who are living in exile in Babylon away from home. Now, if you're a little bit younger amongst us here, our youth, all those kind of youth and below, I don't know if you know what a letter is, but I was kind of thinking about this. Uh, the best way I think to explain it to you is it's kind of like a long Facebook post that you tag a friend in, right? Except you use pen and paper and not the internet and someone has to live it. In fact, you guys don't even know what Facebook is, do you? Someone told me this. It's like a, tic- a letter is like a TikTok video except with words and it has a point. There's a point for doing it. <laughs> Too savage? <laughs> sorry. That's just, that's, I am getting old, I'm sorry. you. So this is what we have in, in Jeremiah 29. And these words that you can see there in verse 1, they're the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet from Jerusalem sends to the exiles in Babylon. And what he wants to do, he wants to show them how they are to live in this world, even as they long to be back home. And the message of it is actually pretty straightforward. In a nutshell, Jeremiah's message is, go ahead, you exiles, go ahead and get comfortable. That's what he actually says. Have a look in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not, let, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. You see what, what God, through Jeremiah, is telling the exiles to do here? He's encouraging them to put down roots in Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, get married and pop out kids and let your kids pop out kids too. Seek the prosperity of the city you are in. In other words, go ahead and get comfortable where you are. Which is, as a Christian, 
I read this today and I think, fantastic, yeah? Fantastic because this is precisely the thing that I want God to tell me to do. If you're anything like me, you want to settle down and and build houses and prosper. I want my life to look like this. This is what I'm going for. This is my ambition. And, And you know, I also... I'm not that shallow. I also want to help contribute to society in a meaningful way too. If I can make a difference in the world and do a lot of good, and at the same time, some of that good comes back my way, well, awesome. Sign me up for that. I'm, I'm, that's great. I'm ready for that. The only problem is, this was a letter written to the exiles in Babylon, right? It's actually not written to me living in Charlestown. And for those guys, these words would have actually been a massive slap in the face. See, settling down and seeking the prosperity of Babylon, the nation that carried them off into exile, that is the last thing these exiles would have wanted to do. That's the last thing they would have wanted God to say to them. Now, what they want is to be in Jerusalem again, right? They want to be out from under God's judgment in exile and back in their homeland. In fact, you can see there in verse 8, they didn't just want this, they were kind of expecting it. Because this was the message that the false prophets of the time were telling them. They were saying, hey, exiles, everything is going to be all right. This exile thing, this living in Babylon thing, it's not going to last that. It's going to be over very soon. God's judgment is about to finish. You're God's people and he's going to bring you home. It's just, it's so close. See, in a way, these exiles were a little bit like English football fans. Now, during the Euros in 2020, England, for the first time, had a pretty good football team, which meant there was heaps of hype, right? There was lots of, there was lots of hope. There was this great kind of expectation that, that maybe this would be the time that that trophy, that Euro trophy, would return home again. And so all the English fans at all the games and in the pubs and wherever they were, they would chant this song, it's coming home, it's coming home, football's coming home, right? They were full of optimism and hopeful expectation that very soon one of football's greatest trophies would return to England, the home of football. The thing was, their expectations were wrong. Now, they did get close in fairness to them, but they lost in pens in the final. And I kind of love that. You know what I mean? Like, it's always good to see the hopes of our English nemesis, you know, dashed. That's, I'm sorry if you're English here, but that is is how I feel. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, this is what's going on in Jeremiah. These false prophets, they were saying, hey, we've got good news. You exiles are coming home. It's really close now. Don't you worry. And the people, the people in exile were starting to chant this song too. So Jeremiah's letter is actually a bit of a smack in the face. Because he says, don't listen to them. Don't sing that song. Those guys are prophesying lies to you. They're telling you the thing that you want to hear. But don't believe the lie that you'll be home soon enough. Now go ahead, settle down in Babylon and get yourselves comfortable. Because God's judgment of you, this exile, is just getting started. Now that is really helpful for us as Christians, isn't it? 
as we actually think about this passage and what it means for us today. Because one of the ideas you'll hear is sometimes in, in Christians will say this, because of passages like Jeremiah 29, they use this passage as evidence for that. You'll hear them say, what God wants for us as Christians is to seek the good of the city we live in. That's what they you know, that, that through our careers, that through our work, through art and music and, and things like social justice and environmental movements, Christians can actually play this transformative role in secular culture and society around us. And it's not that I'm against that idea per se. In fact, I think Christians can make a real difference, right, in the society and culture that we live in. Uh, the Bible, I think the Bible does encourage us to do that. So in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy, uh, we're told to pray for those in authority for the peace of the places that we live in, right? We're, to, we're told to play, pray for peace. And in Galatians, we're told to do good to those around us. Romans 12 says to live at peace with everyone as far as we can help it. So I think it's good, right? Work is a good thing. I'm not anti-work and, and voting and being involved in politics. It's good to be involved in social justice and environmental action. And I'm not against building houses and planting gardens, right? It, that, that's not what I'm saying. But, but sometimes Christians will go so far as to say this is the great purpose of God for us, right? It's the great thing that God wants us as Christians to do in this world. He wants us to transform society and, and culture. And his purpose is to make the world a better place through us. In fact, even more subtly, there's this idea that's become really popular in Christian circles today that these good things we do in the name of Jesus these cultural and these societal transformational things that, that we do through our work and social justice and environmental action and art and music and all of these good things that we contribute to the world, because we do them in the name of Jesus, they actually in some way endure into eternity. That they're part of how God builds his kingdom, is what people will say. In some way they last they, and they bring about even the new creation. But it's actually not the message of Jeremiah 29. It's actually not what this passage is really saying. Jeremiah 29, it's not a mission plan for all of Christianity on how God is going to use us to build his kingdom by transforming society and by transforming culture. It's not the primary thing that God calls us as Christians to do in this world. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Even the exiles and the good they did for Babylon, that ultimately came to nothing, didn't it? Because just a little while later, God wiped the Babylonians out. God brought judgment against them for their sin. What the, what the Israel, Israelites did in, in Babylon, it barely lasted a hundred years, let alone for eternity. So yes, as we live in this world, Christians can, and we should, make contributions to the world to, to make it a better place and to seek the good of the cities we live in. It's okay to build houses, it's okay to plant gardens, of course that's okay, I'm not saying that that's wrong. But Jeremiah 29 doesn't teach us that this is God's great purpose 
for our lives. In fact, it's not even the great purpose for the exiles in Babylon. You can see that in the verses which follow there in this chapter. In Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and on. See, what God actually says to the exiles in Babylon is, yes, go ahead and make yourself comfortable, but at the same time, don't get too comfortable there. Just look at what he says next in 29, verse 10. He says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You see, Jeremiah 29 is on the one hand a bit of a, a smackdown to the false expectations and hopes of the exiles. But it's actually, on the other hand, an incredible encouragement for them at the same time too. Because what it says is that even though God's judgment against them is still going to last a while yet, there is a future hope for you beyond Babylon. After seven years in exile, God promises to bring them home. He's promising to restore them to himself once again. He's promising to lift his judgment and bring a time of favour. In fact, that helps us understand why God tells them to build houses and settle down and have children and prosper. It's not because this is his ultimate purpose for them. It's not because he wants to transform the city of Babylon as his great end goal. It's not because this is how they build the kingdom and that lasts into eternity. It's because ultimately he wants his people to survive. He wants them to last through the judgment that he might bring them back into his promised land. God's got plans for these exiles beyond life in Babylon. In fact, what this passage shows us is that God's future plans lie here with these exiles and not with those who are still in Jerusalem. It's really interesting, right? The, the thing about the Babylonian exile is that whilst many Israelites were carried off into captivity, the Babylonians did leave some people in Jerusalem, at least initially, kind of after the first kind of invasion. They left some people there and they carried others off. And they left them there to, to try and you know, manage and look after land under the watchful eyes of the Babylonian authorities. But you can imagine how that dynamic would have worked between the exiles and those who stayed in Jerusalem. Imagine how it would have seemed to those who were exiled and those who were at home at the time. It would have seemed from the outside that those who were exiled were truly cursed, right? They were really, God was really angry at them and they didn't have that much future beyond this judgment. And those who remained, well, they were the blessed ones who God had spared from his full judgment. So if anything, if anything, you'd expect God to bring about a future for his people from them, right? Not from those in exile. But look at what Jeremiah says in verse 15. He says, 
You may say, the Lord has raised up for us prophets, uh, prophets for us in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and, all, and on all the people who remain in this city, that is Jerusalem, your fellow citizens who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I'll make them like figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I'll pursue them with the sword, feminine plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach amongst all the nations where I drive them, for they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words that I sent them again and again by my servant, the prophet. Now this would have just been mind-blowing, right, if you were living in the time of this whole exile thing. Incredibly, what God says here is that it's with you exiles living in Babylon that my future lies, not those who stayed behind in Jerusalem. I'm going to wipe them out, but I'm going to bring you home. Not straight away, not just yet, not until 70 years of my judgment has passed, but I am going to do it. You are my future. So get comfortable, yes, but not too comfortable. Seek the good of the city so that you might prosper because I'm not finished with you exiles yet. Now, this is even more helpful for us today, right? Because it does help us show, it does help show us where the focus of our lives should be as we live here and now in this world. Our focus is not ultimately on the things of this life and on the things of this world, but it's on the future home which God has promised us, right? That that protects us from from moral compromise, from having a foot in the world in such a way that we become like the world. That's not what God's telling the exiles to do. It's not what he tells us to do either. In fact, Daniel is a really perfect example of this. If you've ever read the book of Daniel, he's in Babylon and he contributes to the good of society which leads him and many other Jews to prosper but he never compromises on godliness, right? At any point, he never stops worshipping God, even in the face of persecution and suffering. So Christians live in this world, yes, but we're not of the world. And the things of this world aren't the things that we ultimately live for. They're not the things that we're ultimately pursuing. No, what we pursue is our future, is heaven. We live for, our, for the kingdom of God and for being with him. Now, that, that's helpful for us because it stops us from making another mistake that Christians often make when they read this passage, which is that what God promises to do is to prosper you in this life, here and now on this earth. God wants to make your life fruitful, right? And successful and joyful and, and he wants you to flourish, So to be honest, how many of us have this verse hanging up somewhere in a photo or a cross-stitch in our house, right? You You know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and future. Now, that verse is everywhere in Christianity, and how often do we read that and immediately think that applies to us and God's plan to prosper me in this life here and now? Especially when you read in the context of verses 1 to 7 where he's like, build houses and settle down. 
it's just so easy to end up taking this and slipping into some kind of prosperity gospel, right? But let me be clear. God's great plans for his people are not things like boyfriends and girlfriends. They're not things like holidays and houses. They're not even things like children, right, necessarily. Now look there in verses 12 to 14. God's great plans are to bring his people home. God's great plan to prosper his people is to bring them to be with him, to restore them to himself, to show them mercy once again, that they might seek him and find him, and when they cry out to him, he will be there. These great plans to prosper God, but to prosper God's people, when you boil them down, are really all about salvation, yeah? It's all about God bringing his people to be with him. It's all about God showing them mercy and grace. And from the darkest of places, from the most unexpected of places, using the most unexpected people, people, exiles in Babylon under his judgment, God promises here in Jeremiah 29, salvation and a future. What an incredibly merciful and good God he is, right? How could you not love a God who works like this? How could we not love a God who works like this? Because you can't help but see the connection to Jesus, right? I mean, wasn't he, in a sense, like an exiled one? Did he not leave his home to face God's judgment in our place on our behalf at the cross? Wasn't he unimpressive by worldly standards, despised and mocked and scorned and alone, rejected by this world that he had made? Jesus is the last person you'd expect from a worldly perspective to bring about the salvation of God. And the cross is the most unexpected place where salvation would come from. But from that most unexpected place, through the most unexpected person, God's salvation has come on all mankind. God has brought him, brought us to be with him. Now, how could you not worship our God, right? How could you not want to live for him? How could you not want to be with Jesus in heaven? How could you not want to see him face to face? How could you not want to go and be home with him? Life isn't about being successful and flourishing and prospering here and now. It's not about God giving us everything our hearts desire on this earth. It's about taking hold of the salvation that he offers. It's about putting our hope in Jesus. It's about living here and now in this world, yes, but for that day when he will call us home. And that's, that's really what's so helpful about this passage, right? It, it does answer this question of how do we keep a foot in both worlds, but, but it does it in a really unexpected way. What it actually says is the way that you live in two worlds is by listening to the words of Jesus. It's by listening to the true prophet of God. See, listening to God's prophet is, is really what this passage is about. It's not about building houses, really. It's not about anything like that. 
It's about listening to God's great messenger, his great prophet. All throughout Jeremiah 29, that's the challenge being laid out for the exiles he's writing to. Will you listen to Jeremiah, God's true prophet, in such a way that you respond and do what he says? Or will you listen to those false prophets like Ahab and Zedekiah there in verse 21, Shemaiah there in verse 24, who tell you exactly what your itching ears want to hear? That's the whole purpose of this letter which Jeremiah sends. He writes it because he's imploring them and he wants them to listen to the words of God, to listen to him as the true prophet of God and let his words shape how they live, this life here and now, as they wait to go home. And just as Jeremiah was the true prophet who spoke God's word to the exiles in Babylon, Jesus is the true prophet who speaks to you and me, yeah? As we wait for him to come and bring us home. What does God say in Mark 9? As Jesus stands on the mountain in his great transfiguration, God says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Or in Matthew 7, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, whoever hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, like guys like Jeremiah, right, is who he's talking about here. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now that's the key to living with a foot in two worlds. It's listening to God's true prophet, Jesus, and letting his word shape the way that we live. So let me ask a question then. How are you going at that? How are you going at living your life in line with Jesus' words? I reckon the biggest danger for us as Christians, particularly as we get older, right? Particularly as we've been Christians for a while, is that things like building houses and settling down and planting gardens and seeking prosperity and all of those things will will creep in on us in such a way that the priority of God's kingdom will get crowded out. I don't think it happens like that. I think in my own life I see it happen really slowly. And I think the reason is that we just get a little bit kind of like, um, you know, I don't, we just compromise on listening to God's words a bit. It will still go to church and growth group. We'll still go to GDG, right, after church. We'll, we'll still send our kids to kids. We'll do all the Christian things, but we'll just end up going through the motions. Man, I find myself continually slipping back into this kind of thing. But what I want to do is sit under God's word and have an outlook on God's word, Jesus' words, in such a way that my heart is always humbly open to hear what he has to say to me today. I want him to keep shaping what it is I love, what it is I desire, what it is I live for. I want to let him keep pushing me to make radical kingdom-shaped decisions because I know my home is not here, but it's there. Now, of course I'm not perfect at this, right? You're probably better at it than me, to be honest. But this is what I want. Isn't that what you want too? So here's where this passage hits home for us, I reckon. 
How are you going at listening to Jesus? Will you let his words shape the course of your life? Why don't I pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us in Jeremiah. Words that you first gave to the exiles in Babylon to help them persevere and live in that world. Father, we thank you for the way that we can read them through our understanding of Jesus and everything he's done and, and everything you've done for us in him. And think about how, what they mean to us, how they apply to us as we live in this world. Father, we pray that you will protect us from false ideas from this passage. Please protect us from thinking that what you want for us most of all is to seek the good of our city and to cause it to prosper. Please protect us from thinking that what you want for us most of all is that we might prosper in this world here and now, that we might have everything that our heart desires. Father, help us to see that what you have promised us in Jesus, that future home, is worth far more than anything we could gain in this world. And please help us to live for that home first of all. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.